Thanks, Chad. Good afternoon. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. My name is Josh Prather. I'm the Director of Community and Global Initiatives for Redemption Church. I'm also on staff here locally at Arcadia, so it's an honor for me to be able to speak with you today. If you didn't catch it, the text is going to be John 17, verse 20 through 26, and we have Bibles underneath the chairs if you want to go ahead and grab one of those and follow along with me. So we're in a series now of Jesus' high priestly prayer, and we're finishing up that series, and through the series, Jesus primarily focuses on himself, even though there's little nuances of this, but primarily Jesus is focusing on himself at the beginning of this prayer. He goes to where he is focusing on the 12, and then we come to our prayer where he makes a shift in his prayer. And I'm going to give you the big thought that I am trying to really hit on with some major points, but as you heard the text, you'll understand that it's not this linear in Jesus' prayer. Okay, so as I read, these are the big points or the big thought that I would like us to get and the things that I am going to try to draw out as we, as we move through. So we are a community, so this is what the text is really going to drive home, is that we are a community sent out as one, filled with the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the world may know that the Father has sent Jesus. And the big points that I want to make is that we are a community that is sent out, that we are filled with the glory of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the world knows that the Father has sent Jesus because we as a community are one. So we begin in verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So there's a shift you can see that happens. He says, I'm not just praying for these 12. He's speaking to the disciples, remember? So I'm not just praying for these 12. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. So there's a shift where it goes from, I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for these 12, and then all of a sudden there's a commission in this prayer. I'm praying for those who will believe future tense. And we are part of that, those that have believed. But before we actually get to the disciples and their call, and then to us today, I would like to go back and tell a bit of the story, the story of redemption. It begins, or we'll start, in Genesis 12, where God calls a man named, named Abraham and says to go. And he's going to make him a great nation and bless his offspring so that they will be a blessing. And then we come to Genesis 15, and he says this to Abraham, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So it begins with one man, and God promises that his offspring will number the stars of heaven. And then we come in the biblical narrative, we're just tracing through the Bible, to the nation of Israel. And they are people gathered together 
called to be a light to the nations, so kind of a moth to a flame. People should be attracted to the nation of Israel, but we also see that they're a scattered people, and largely this is through their disobedience to God, that God scatters them throughout the nations, and they end up in places like Babylon, and God tells them to be a blessing where he has sent them. But we also recognize that in the biblical narrative, Israel is ultimately unfaithful. So we come to this period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God's people sit and they're longing. They're longing for God to regather his people and for God to bring his kingdom to earth, to usher in a new kingdom. And then we come to Jesus. We come to one man that says, I am here to regather my people and the kingdom has come because I am the king and I am ushering in a new kingdom. And then we see that he starts regathering the nation of Israel with 12 men. So it goes from Abraham to Israel to Jesus and now to the 12. And we pick back up in the text. I'll read it one more time. So, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We're going to talk about this in a moment, but I just want to say it because we're, we're here. Those that will believe. There's a certainty in Jesus' words that allows us as a people to rest. We save no one. God saves. If Jesus is Lord of all, he is certainly Lord of salvation. And no one comes to him unless the Father who sent him draws them to Jesus. God draws. And here he says, I am praying for those that will believe. There's a certainty in Jesus' words that I want us to see. And then we come to the disciples. Shortly after our text, Jesus is crucified, he's buried. He rises from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven. But before he does, he tells his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when they do, they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the, to the, ends of the earth. They are scattered. God's people become scattered. And then we come to us, outside of the, the biblical narrative, outside of the Bible, we come to this movement of people making disciples, a people that are continuously being sent out. And then we come to the early 1900s to a man named Simon Kumbangu. And if you go to the lower part of the Congo now, you can still see a wooden statue of this man, Simon Kumbangu. In his early 30s, he started to receive a prophetic vision from Jesus a man that he would refer to as the colorless one, a man that wasn't black or white, but a man of all nations, a God that came to save all of humanity. But he avoided this call for three years until finally he submitted, and he went out into the lower part of Congo and started to proclaim the good news that the kingdom had come. But the authorities at this time, the colonial authorities at this time, did not appreciate this message of diversity, this message where there is a man that came to save all of humanity. So he was persecuted and he fled. 
and his ministry only lasted three months, and he went into hiding for two months before he felt led by Jesus to come back and face unjust persecution, just as Jesus did. So he came back and submitted himself to the governing authorities, and he received 30 strokes, and he spent the next 30 years of his life in prison, most of that in solitary confinement, before he died in prison. But the movement did not die. And all of a sudden, the gospel began to spread because of a five-month ministry, and those people received heavy persecution. Until one point, there were 37,000 people that were picked up from this movement of Simon Kumbangu and spread to different communities throughout Africa just to try to break up the unity and the oneness of this movement till finally we come to the story where the people facing intense persecution in the early 1900s, 600 people gathered together and wrote a document. And here's what they said, we are suffering so much Whenever we meet for prayer, we are arrested by your soldiers. And in order not to burden the police with added work, we shall gather unarmed in the stadium where you can arrest us all at once or massacre us. Simon Kumbangu taught his people to really believe the Sermon on the Mount. That when we are cursed, that when we are reviled, we don't repay that with curse or reviling, but God's people are to bless. So they said, we don't want to burden you, so we'll gather together, and if you want to massacre us, you can. And the governing officials of that day were so overwhelmed with this, that this community, this movement, this gospel movement, received tolerance. And to this day, in the lower part of Congo, there are two million people that would trace their faith back to one man, that for five months, believed that he received a vision from Jesus and he was sent. And still to this day in the lower part of Congo, they are looked at as a community of oneness, of reconciliation, and of peace. So now we come to us today, and I wonder, with two billion people around the world that were proclaimed to be believers, and I know we can argue about Catholicism and all that, let's not get into that, I just want to get into God keeping his promises. When he said to Abraham, I will make you a blessing, I wonder if Abraham really thought that two billion people would be professing Jesus in 2013. I wonder when Jesus looked at 12 men and said, I am sending you out for those that will believe in me through your word. If they really looked down from heaven now and said, I never believed. I never truly believed what you could do through one man or one community being sent out to be a gospel witness. And so we are called to be sent out in oneness. In oneness, which brings us to the next verse in our text. Verse 21 says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So how will the world, when we talk about the world, there's the gospel community and then there's the world. So how will the world outside of our community know that the Father has sent Jesus? 
because we are one. And there's a few things that I want to talk about for what binds us together as a community or how do we actually become one as a community. And the first is we must be united with God. When Jesus prays that they would be in me and I in them, think about what we as a community are stepping into. A God that has existed in relationship for all of time. Before time began, he was, before the foundation of the earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in perfect harmony with one another, submitting to one another, serving one another, honoring one another, perfect relationships. And this is what, as a community, we step into. He is actually in us, and we partake in this unity. And that's the only thing that allows us to truly become one. And the second thing is that we share the same story. So how do we become one? We unite around the same story. I've already shared the story from Abraham, but I just want to make sure we understand that when we go into the Old Testament and we read about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, that's our story. We all come from the same place. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us that those of faith are the true sons of Abraham. So that's not just some people, that's our people. Those are our people. And we don't just unite with the past, we unite with the future. We're a community that that knows how all things began, and we know how all things will come to an end. And this is what unites us as a people and builds oneness. I've been married for about a year and a half, and when I first got married, I started to understand this idea of oneness. You know, when you first think about two becoming one flesh, that's exciting, and then you start to think about the depth of oneness, that we're not just brought together physically, but we are brought together in vision. We are brought together in mission, and this is the conversations my wife and I have all the time, is what does it look like day in and day out to be on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ? And what is the vision that we have for the future? What are our desires? What are our hopes? What are our dreams? And this unites us as a community because we all share the same story. We all share the same hopes and desires, or we should, because it's the desires and the hopes of a gospel community. The third thing that we share is the image of Christ is that because Christ has come in us, we now have the opportunity to be able to honor one another and encourage one another or rebuke one another and train one another up in in righteousness because we know what all of us desires to look like. Do we not? So then when we see someone that is out of line with the way Jesus acted, the way Jesus lived, because we're immersed in the biblical story, we can speak into it and say, that's not Jesus. That's not the gospel, because we all know the story, and we can rebuke one another in gentleness and love and respect and guide one another back to what it is to be in line with the good news of Jesus, or we can encourage one another. This is what allows us, because we share the same image, to say to one another, that's great, you look just like Jesus, and I'm so encouraged by that. Continue, continue to look like Jesus. One thing practically that builds community that I really want to hit on is honoring one another. And this comes from Romans 10, 
verse 12, or excuse me, Romans 12, verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. In a world and in a culture of cynicism and sarcasm and gossip and slander, what if, what if we were a community that didn't look at a person for everything that they had done wrong or everything that was wrong about them, but we found the one thing that was honoring and we honored them? What if we actually were with someone in a conversation and everything they said, nine out of 10 things were really wrong, but that one thing that they said, we honor. And when we're with our friends, we go back to them and we don't gossip and we don't slander our brothers and sisters in Christ. We say, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with John, but he ties his shoes really well. And that's all we got. That's all we got to honor. But that's what we choose to say to our friends. That's how we choose to honor one another. And this brings unity to our community. So that, so that the world may know that the Father had sent Jesus. Once again, the big thought, we are a community sent out as one, in oneness, filled with the glory of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, so that the world may know that the Father has sent Jesus. Verse 22 and 23, I want to talk about the Spirit and the glory of God given to us. Verse 22 says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. So it doesn't specifically here mention the Spirit, but I believe that the glory of God given to us or given to his people cannot be separated from the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're going to talk about that just for a moment. In John 16, Jesus is speaking again to his disciples, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And can you imagine what Peter or John might have said? We disagree. It's, your, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they're like, um... I don't think so. I don't think it's in our best interest that you leave. But Jesus seems to think so. And he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And this helper is the Holy Spirit given to us. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit and the helper, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that is what allows us to breathe a sigh of relief and rest, is that God gives us as a community his spirit and that when we go out into the world as a sent people, we do not speak under our own authority, but the spirit within us that God has given us is the one that convicts of sin, is the one that convicts of righteousness 
and also the one that convicts of judgment. Jesus continues on in John 16 to say, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And what do we know about the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So it's saying here that the helper, the spirit, is going to guide us as a community into Jesus. And then he continues on, for he will not speak on his own authority, this is the spirit, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me try to connect the glory of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Every time we are overwhelmed as individuals, as a family, and as a community with the glory of Jesus, the kingdom has come and the Holy Spirit is fulfilling his role. Do we understand that? That his role, the Holy Spirit, or one of his roles, is to guide us into truth. And Jesus tells us he is the truth. So if the Holy Spirit is guiding us into Jesus so that we may partake or see his glory, the kingdom has come. And this glory is not only for us. We know as a community that in the presence of Christ's glory, there is fullness of joy. However, this glory is to be seen by the rest of the world. That when the Spirit guides us to Jesus and we are overwhelmed with his beauty and his glory, that the rest of the world knows that the kingdom has come. So number one is that we are united in the glory of God and the power of the Spirit. And then we continue on to verse 24. Read along with me if you would. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. So this is what Jesus is saying. Okay, he's speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to us saying, I have given you my glory. So you have actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know that I am good for I have given you my spirit which leads you into my glory and you have tasted. However, we have not seen in fullness what we see now through a mirror dimly. We long to see when the kingdom comes in fullness. For we know that in Jesus' presence and in his glory, there is fullness of joy, which is why when he says, I long for them to be with me, which moved me to tears as I studied this, is just Jesus' affections for his church, that he longs for us to be with him. When he leaves, it wasn't easy for him to depart. He isn't emotionless. He's praying, he says, I long for them to be with me where I am so that when they see my glory, they will have fullness of joy. And I just want to tell us now that we have a piece of that, that the world will never understand what it means to partake in the glory of Jesus. But we as a community, united around Jesus, understand it. But this glory is not just for us as a community. 
It's for the world. As I spoke about with the connection of glory and the Spirit, is that when the Spirit comes into us, he glorifies Jesus, and the kingdom comes through healing. Through our words and through our deeds and the power of the Spirit, we can see that the kingdom comes. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, there is full harmony and reconciliation. There is no brokenness in this world. But at Genesis 3, we see that everything is broken. Relationships are broken. Inwardly, we are a broken people. And relationships with God are broken. So, we usually want signs and wonders, but I just want us to know that when we actually see a marriage mended because of the gospel, the kingdom has come. And the Spirit is doing his work in the glory of Jesus. When someone that is battling with fear, anxiety, hatred towards their neighbor, when that is mended and they actually have peace and rest, we know as a community that the kingdom has come. That's not through our power that that happens. When we sit down and counsel our brothers and sisters in Christ and relationships are mended, we know that the kingdom is among us. And also, the core of it all, when people repent and believe in the good news, we know that the kingdom of God has come. So, how is our community different from that of the world? In Michael Goheen's book, A Light to the Nations, he talks about a contrast community and how it differs from the world. So we are called as a community to be in the world, right? But not of the world. So it is taking the gospel and culture and putting them together, but also denying the idols of our culture. So he lists seven things that I would like us to think about how we are different as a community from the rest of the world. The first one, he says, a community of justice in a world of economic, excuse me, and environmental injustice. What if we were a community that didn't accumulate debt at unreasonable, substantial amounts like the rest of the world and get ourselves into bankruptcy? What if that was our community? What if we were known for that? Also, environmental injustice. What if, what if we were a community that actually cared about God's creation, about the bodies that he's given us, and we actually took care of them, and we didn't treat them like garbage, and we actually took care of the environment that God has given us. You know he created that good? Have you read Genesis 1 and 2, that God created that good, and it was a gift to us, and he called us to be stewards? What if that's what our community was known for, a community that actually cares about creation? The second thing Michael Goheen mentions is a community of generosity and simplicity in a consumer world. So, when is enough enough? What if we were a community that didn't buy the 30th pair of shoes? What if we were a community that said, you know what, I could use a much grander home. I might like a much grander home, but enough is enough. A community of simplicity and generosity in a consumer world. A community of selfless giving in a world of selfishness and entitlement. I don't think I need to talk about that a lot more. 
a community of humble and bold witness to the truth in a world of uncertainty, a community of hope in a world of disillusionment. I was actually in the car with a friend just the other day, and we were talking about things we're wrestling with, and he doesn't know Jesus, and I started to bring up hope, and he didn't understand. What is there to hope for? if you don't know Jesus. Because life here on earth may get worse. I can't promise you that things are going to get better, but I know that in the end they will. So there is always hope for this community because we know that the kingdom is going to come and it will be a kingdom of peace, of joy, of righteousness. So a community of hope and a world of uncertainty a community of joy and thanksgiving in a hedonistic world that frantically pursues pleasure. A community of joy and thanksgiving in a hedonistic world that frantically pursues pleasure. What if we as a community learn to be content with what God has given us? One example of this is marriage. What if we we're joyful and thankful throughout our entire lives with the person that God has given us. And we didn't frantically pursue pleasure and happiness with somebody else. What if that's what our community was actually known for? The last one is a community that experiences God's presence in a secular world. Christianity has been pushed or the gospel, you say that, has been pushed to one sphere of life, to where now we gather here on Sundays and we're allowed to proclaim the good news. We are thankful for that. But are we really allowed to experience God's presence in our homes, in our workplace? And maybe we are, but do we? Do we actually experience the presence of God, the glory of Jesus as we're making dinner, as we wake up in the morning, as we put our kids to bed, as we discipline our children, as we spend time with our spouses, are we experiencing the glory of God in all of life and not just compartmentalizing it to an hour and a half on Sundays? The gospel comes with us because Christ is always with us. To conclude, I wanna read verse 26 and tie this in to the gospel and why this is foundational to our work. So read with me if you would, verse 26. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And that is good news. That's good news for us today, that the love that the Father gave Jesus is now given to us, and that is the gospel. A lot of us grew up with this one, but John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel, or a piece of the gospel, let me say, is that 
God loves us so much that he gave us Jesus. But do we love him enough that it's overflowing from us and we can't help but spill it over into our communities and into our neighbor? Is the gospel so saturated in us and the love of God so overwhelming us that when we are spending time at work or with our neighbor that it just is a natural overflow of the joy and the gratitude we have to the Father for sending us Jesus. I began with a big thought, and as we saw, it's kind of scattered and it goes around, but I want to come back to that big thought and have us walk away with it. Is we are a community sent out as one not as a bunch of individuals, but tied together as one. We are a community sent out as one, filled with the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world may know that the Father has sent Jesus. So here we are today in 2013. And 2,000 years have passed since Jesus And continually, there is a community that has gathered together as one with the power and the glory of Christ sent out so that the world may know that the Father has sent Jesus. We heard about it with Simon Kumbangu, and now it comes to us today, and it came to us through a man named Justin Anderson who planted this church because he believed that he was sent out by God And now it comes to me and to us is that we are here gathered together as a community sent out as one filled with the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am up here with the purpose of telling you, if you don't know, that the Father has sent Jesus. That the love that the Father has for Jesus is available to you if you do not know it. But the gospel necessitates response. So at the end, after we're done worshiping and doing communion, there'll be some of us up front. And if for the first time you have heard that the Father sent Jesus and offers his love to you, we would love to speak with you. Or if you just want to come and talk and pray with us, please do that as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this community. And God, I thank you for the glory of Christ given to us, the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that we would be a community that is sent out, not as individuals in an individualistic society, but as a community bound together as one under the glory of and the lordship of Jesus. All praise belongs to Jesus, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.